Well, that was the opening music to Calamity Jane, released in 1953 and directed by David Butler and starring Doris Day, Howard Keel, Alan Ann McCleary, and I'm not sure who played the lieutenant, but uh, he was a big part of it as well. Uh, that would be Philip Carey, Phil Carey. Yeah, he was. He made a lot of lot of movies in the 40s and 50s. And the music was by Ray Heindorf, and uh, one of the songs, Secret Love, became a real big hit for Doris Day. I think she had over 600 recordings. I read that someplace. Just a ton of of singles. You know, they used to do those singles on the old 33 and a third records. She had a lot of those, and a, a huge. Huge animal lover. Oh, I she remember reading about that place. Yeah, it's almost like she had an animal park that she. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, up near Carmel. On your way down, you'll probably go right by where she had a, a place. Oh, I think we're going to drive through Carmel. Place. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, also, where Clint Eastwood lives, I think he has a house there, <laughs> or he did. Wasn't he the mayor of Carmel, Clint Eastwood? He was. Yeah. He was the mayor back in the 1980s. I don't know if it was one term or more. And he had a restaurant, uh, which I don't remember the name of, but when Ben and I drove down from uh, the Bay Area to Los Angeles, we stopped there and ate dinner. Oh, cool. It was really neat. It was open air. It was, it was quite pleasant. You're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews. And we've got bonus shows over there, and you can also listen to our episodes early. Uh, For instance, we have, I think, two or three episodes over there published already that haven't come out on our, our regular podcast feed. So that's something to check out. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. And I'm Bob Johnson here in uh, Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and Calamity Jane from 1953. I read where it uh, really got sped up in terms of its production when there was so much success with Annie Get Your Gun, which came out from a different studio in 1950. The film that we wanted to lead with, but we can't find a copy that's reasonably priced without having to buy one. And it's sort of not what we want to do because so many listeners, we don't want to be saying, you know, this is the only way you can get this is to pay $20 or $30 or something like that. So, <laughs> Plus, we just don't want to, we don't want to keep buying movies, yeah. So this is a fun movie. Um, it's interesting to watch uh, uh, Calamity Jane and her character change from the first half of the film where she looks like she just came in off of a roundup <laughs> yeah. And well, in this case, the stagecoach. And then um, on the last half of the movie, where she becomes a much more beautiful, nicely dressed, and what everybody remembers Doris Day as being. Right? Yeah, that's what you would think. A yeah. lovely singer, lovely woman. Yeah, I watched some behind the scenes things on the DVD that I got from Netflix, and they had a behind the scenes. Well, it wasn't really behind the scenes, it was a newsreel of her accepting an award and I think it was related to the song Secret Love but I'm, I'm not 100% sure but yeah she's she looks much more like the character does at the end of this movie 
uh, in real life, you know, not not so much like at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she had such a wonderful career over such a long time. She did everything from musicals to uh, she did some dramas. She did a couple of uh, murder mysteries, and all the while she was just number one. It seems like most uh, most every year with a with a single. Uh, and I know I don't think we've reviewed the man who knew too much, a Hitchcock film, with James Stewart, but she plays the the uh, musical, uh, the the wife of the uh, lead character, and there was a hit in that, in that song, um, or in that film, um, and I can't remember the name of the song, but she had a lot of those. I did want to mention. Um, uh, it was produced and distributed by Warner Brothers. In a lot of ways, to me, it it, it echoes the musicals and the color films from MGM. Mm, yeah, where they 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 really had that down to a fine art form, and they were the studio that did Annie Get Your Gun. So, yeah, they had some um, great uh, rear projection cinematography where they're riding on the stagecoach. Yeah, she's doing all this crazy acrobatics, like jumping around the stagecoach and in through the window and on top of it, standing on top of it while it's going and cracking this whip. And, you, you know, you could <laughs> you could totally tell it was filmed on a soundstage with a rear projection behind her, but it was still fun to watch her do that stuff. Like you were saying that she was very athletic in this movie, and she really was. There was that scene when she was doing the musical number in the saloon and she was climbing all over stuff and like climbing Ooh, up yeah. into the second uh, level and yeah it was crazy she did a lot of that herself you could tell just by watching it so she had to be in pretty phys good physical shape uh, the opening song the deadwood stage oh the deadwood stage is a rolling on over the plains with the curtains flapping and the driver is slapping the reins a beautiful sky a wonderful day whip crack away whip crack away whip crack away Oh, the Deadwood stage is heading on over the hills Where the engine arrows are thicker than porcupine quills Dangerous land, no time to delay So whip crack away, whip crack away, whip crack away We're heading straight for town, loaded down with a fancy cargo Carowells of Argo, Illinois Goes right in hand in hand with that opening scene with her and the stagecoach driver mm -hmm. Galloping along through the Black Hills. Yeah, yep, yep. It becomes apparent pretty quickly that she, she likes to tell tall tales, you know. She's exaggerating how dangerous <laughs> yeah, it was right. and, like, w what she did and, you know, how she saved everybody. And it was funny because the the guy that was the, the driver with her is kind of standing behind her, like, <laughs> shaking his head and correcting all of her tall tales and... I knew it was going to be bad with their treatment of the First Nations people, and it and it and it didn't disappoint in that category. You got to definitely like take it for what it's worth as a movie from 1953. She doesn't take any guff from anybody either, because uh, as I recall, the uh, the army uh, captain was it I, the Philip Carey Phil Carey character Lieutenant Daniel. Lieutenant Danny Gilmartin. Gil gets captured and she can't understand why they haven't gone out to rescue her. And so what does she do? She takes off and she 
goes out and chases away the uh, Native Americans and rescues the the lieutenant and brings brings him back. It's no big deal. You you know, it's like I can do anything single handedly out there doing that. I really liked her strong character though. She you know, despite her tall tales and kind of uh, exaggerations of her exploits, she really had a strong character and and you know it's the kind of character that you wouldn't expect uh, a female to play in 1953 i know and for her it was doubly so because she she was always kind of the the uh, lovely woman great singer and that sort of thing she did make a series of films in the 50s that became a little more dramatic and and uh, ended in, in in a couple of them in the murder category but she she finally confessed that she didn't like doing those they were too stressful for her and she really preferred movies like uh, pillow talk and some of the others that she made later on that became big hits but and nancy and i were talking about annie oakley from annie get your gun and calamity jane both real characters both at about the same time in the in the west and these stories <laughs> I, I i think from a documentarian standpoint, they are probably not real accurate. But from a fun and enjoyment standpoint, they're really fun. Although when I watch this one now in 2021, I have to suspend a lot of belief in terms to get back into the 1953 genre, like you say, because it's there's there's some there's some things in this that go on that are like oh brother you know yeah <laughs> it's like ouch yeah. ouch ouch yeah for sure uh, for and sure. was uh, I wanted to mention that the director uh, David Butler Doris Day was a fan of his because he had directed by the light of the silvery moon and uh, some of his other films that she did and he. Uh, he did a Road to Morocco film with Crosby and Holt, the third one. So he did, his fare was mainly the lighter touch. He did about 60 films and they were all kind of, they not they were not heavy melodramatic pieces by and large. But he had a long career, yeah. This is another movie that I feel like is kind of in the same vein as what you might see like a Netflix um original obviously not the content necessarily but just sort of the lightheartedness and and the fun aspect of it i feel like today if a movie like this was going to be made well it'd be a lot different but it would also probably just go straight to streaming you know like i don't there's a lot of those movies that are made today that are sort of back in 1953 the only way that you could see entertainment like this would be to go to the movies so it was just like a fun, lighthearted sort of let's go see a movie on a Saturday night or a Friday night and you don't want anything too heavy and anything too dramatic. You just want to go see Doris Day singing and dancing and Howard Keel. I mean, that guy, his baritone voice, wow. Hey, wait a minute. Are oh, you no good for a flushing? You talk too much. In the summer, you're the winter. In the finger, you're the splinter. In the banquet, you're the stew. Say, I could do without you. In the garden, you're the gopher. In the Levi's, you're the loafer. Like an overturned canoe. Well, I can do without you. You can go to... Great singer, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I know the two it. of them together had great chemistry, and I could see why they did well with Annie Get Your Gun, and then, you know, it's like, why not team up again for this movie? 
And then we'll have him coming up in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers in a few podcasts. Yeah, it was uh, the, the availability of of, uh, of uh, entertainment was you you had you had movies, you had radio, and you might have had home movies. That's about it. Because uh, television wasn't widely available in 1953, so that was not an option really. In a lot of parts of the country, we didn't get television in uh, in uh, my hometown of Montana until uh, 1955. So, plus it's the backdrop of of all these films is the Hayes Code, the production code, which was a form of censorship on over the movies when that had a limiting limiting factor on films even up through the 50, 1950s. So given all that, and if you can suspend belief about what was going on, it's a fun, it's a fun movie. I, 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 I jump ahead, but she has a cabin that she lives in. <laughs> yeah. That, look, that looks like something out of a Hooverville from 1934. <laughs> and, and she goes in there with her new best friend, whose name I need to look up here, her character's name, Katie Brown, played by Alan, Alan Ann McClary. And she's all dressed to the nines, and this cabin is just, I mean, I, it's, to say it's a pit is an understatement. <laughs> There's like there's like uh, there's like a touch of Cinderella in this or or Sleeping Beauty in, yes. in this movie a little bit like and she comes in and she sees this dilapidated cabin Katie does and then she immediately sets to work cleaning it up and getting getting uh, uh, calamity busy like fixing things and cleaning and we can fix it up calamity make it real nice all it needs is a woman's touch a woman's touch. A woman's touch, a woman's touch. The magic of Aladdin couldn't do as much. She's a wizard, she's a champ, and she doesn't need a lamp. A woman's touch can weave a spell. The kind of hocus pocus that she does so well. With the magic of a broom, you can mesmerize a room. With a whisk whisk here and a whisk whisk there and a dustpan for the cinders. But the rub rub here and a rub rub there, you could polish up the windows. Then presto change oh, suddenly the sun comes shining through. And what does Mr. Sunshine say to you? I do! It makes you blink. To stop and think, a worm and a whisk broom can accomplish so darn much. So never underestimate a woman's touch. They painted their name on the door too. It says uh, Clam and Katie with a heart in it that's painted on the door. And I was reading on Wikipedia that the film, and this is a quote from Wikipedia, the film has been popular with some lesbian audiences for its depiction of a character which can be read as lesbian and was screened at the London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival in 2006. Uh, film critic Jamie Stewart points to the film's lesbian overtones in Jane being played as a strong independent woman who shares a house with a woman, the two of them painting Clam and Katie in a heart on its door. And the thought definitely crossed my mind when I was watching it, even before I read this, that, that the two of them, I mean, it 
it, it it's just a nice friendship. I think it's just supposed to be like a nice friendship between the two of them, but it, it kind of has that subtext a little bit when you're watching it, at least in 2021. Well, that's part of the interesting part of looking at these films, several of these films, not all of them, because certainly all of, a lot of them are very timely even today, but uh, you can do all kinds of, of head games in, in, in looking at them. I just, I just, because I, I would have seen this in the theater when it first came out. So, you know, you can imagine being 12, 13 years old and going to the, the movie on Saturday. And it didn't matter. I really didn't care what movie it was as long as I got to go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing is like, this was like a big deal. People would get dressed up to go to the theater because, like you were oh, saying, yes. it. It's either you're going to listen to radio shows at home or you're going to go to a movie at the theater. And so it was kind of a big deal. Uh, not like today where you can just pull your phone out of your pocket and watch one of, you know, hundreds of thousands of shows that are streaming at any one time. I noted a couple of films that uh, Doris Day made that, that uh, people might enjoy, that uh, listeners might enjoy if they haven't seen them. And even if they have, I, I came up with three the Man Who Knew Too Much with Jimmy Stewart, uh, that's the Hitchcock film in 1956. Pillow Talk with uh, Rock Hudson in 1959, and the uh, consequences of having a phone party line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which, which even, <laughs> you think about that today, it's like, what in the world is a party line? And then uh, Midnight Lace, which came along a little bit later. I think that might have been maybe even 1959 or 1960, where she's... Uh, uh, her husband is trying to do her in, kind of a kind of a uh, psychological thriller. So those are those are three that I enjoy. We do need to mention Howard Keel, though. I mean, oh yeah, he was great. That man, not only great, but he was big. He was a big man, big guy. Yeah, yeah. And did a lot of musicals, did a lot of drama. Many people may remember him as the fabulous Clayton Farlow the oil baron from the Dallas TV show. He was on that for maybe five, six years. I love that name. Clayton Barlow, or Farlow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked his character because he was just sort of a, pardon the pun, but he was just sort of a straight shooter. He would kind of tell it as he saw it, <laughs> yes. and he even says at one point to Calamity that, uh, you know, maybe you should think about dressing a little different once in a while. And and it was funny because on the one hand, I thought, well, that's really a sexist thing to say. Like, she should be able to dress however she wants. And then on the other hand, I was thinking that, well, I think the intent of what he's saying is that he, he's not saying that you need to change who you are. He's just saying, hey, maybe try wearing something different once in a while. And and uh, I like that scene where they sort of realize that actually they, they love each other and instead of the other people. Because the conceit of the movie is that he he's in love with Katie Brown and then uh, Calamity is in love with uh, the Philip uh, Carey character, Danny Gilmartin. But actually, it's kind of the reverse. We find out that um, Calamity and uh, Wild Bill Hickok are actually in love. Katie, I'm going to get married. Congratulations. Rattlesnake, stop this coach! Whoa, whoa there! Whoa. But I'm going to be Mrs. Hickok. Bill? But I thought you loved Danny. 
all that's female thinking of. And nothing will get you into more trouble. Well, where are we at? Chicago, you're back to Deadwood. Deadwood, Kalam? Oh, Kalam. So, I like that. I like that turn of events near the end of the movie. It's something. Uh, well, the plot is pretty straightforward. Calamity Jane is the dominant character, and, and she transforms herself during the film. But it starts out because the uh, the uh, Golden Garter Saloon had sent away for uh, uh, what they thought was an actress-singer named Frances Fryer, I think, <laughs> yeah. who was going to come in and, and, and entertain the boys in Deadwood. And she was coming all the way from Chicago. Yeah. And it turns out Francis Fire that shows up as a man. Right, played by and Dick they, Wesson. He was they funny. Tried, they tried was... to pawn him off as the, as the real thing. It didn't go well. It is my great pleasure to present to you now that lovely star, that toast of New York, Miss Francis Fryer. <laughs> If I go on as a woman, they'll murder me. If you don't, they'll murder you. And me too. Now get out there. You see what I see? She ain't very good looking. That ain't all she ain't. I've got two wonderful arms. I've got two wonderful lips. I'm over 21 and I'm free. Oh, I've got a heart full of honey for the right kind of honeybee. I'm not the glamorous type, but I'm the amorous type. You love the way I fit on your knee. Oh, I've got a heart full of honey for the right kind of honeybee. My daddy owns a railroad and my ma is a millionaire. I liked how Calamity would pronounce things oddly, and it wasn't even consistent. She would say Chicago yeah. instead of Chicago. I had to go down to Chicago. <laughs> like, but she, because, of, because of this mix-up, there's a near riot at the Golden Garter, and, and Calamity saves the day by saying, by golly, I'll go to Chicago, and I'll find the real singer and bring her back. Yeah, not only, not only is she going to go to Chicago, but she's going to bring back Adelaide Adams, Oh, was who, that who it was? Who everybody, who everybody was uh, just in love with because she was on some cigarette thing, you know, card, like her picture, and so she was kind of semi-famous with all these prospectors. And uh, so Calamity, of course, says that I'll go there and bring her back. You know, it's like okay, and off she goes. <laughs> She's never even been to Chicago. <laughs> And she goes in the same outfit that she began the movie in. She looks like she's just come right off the trail. 
as she walks down State Street in Chicago looking for this singer. And as it happens, she ends up right in front of the theater where the lady's performing. Yeah, and and, uh, hears her singing and thinks, wow, she's great. So then she goes to the back of the theater and goes into the dressing room of Adelaide Adams, who turns out is actually headed to Europe for a European tour. Uh, But her maid, Katie, is there, and Katie wants to be a big star and sing on the stage and sees this opportunity to impersonate Adelaide Adams because... Calamity Jane doesn't know any different. I am numb, I succumb when he renders the face on the barroom floor. When he flexes his muscles, I flutter like a butterfly caught in a shutter. When he calls me his. What is it, ma'am? Where's the varmint? Who are you? Oh, my name's Canary, Miss Adams. Most folks call me Calamity. Come all the way from Deadwood City to see you and try to talk you into going back with me. Gosh almighty. You're the prettiest thing I ever seen. Never knowed a woman could look like that. Say, how do you hold that dress up there? Please. I have to change clothes. Would you mind? Company, why, sure. I'm bloodmen for less than that. If you don't get out of here this instant, Mr. Canary, or... Mr. Calamity, or whatever your name is. Mister? Why, ain't no mister. You're... You're a woman? Why, of course I'm a woman. You thought I was a man? (laughs) Come to think of it, that ain't so funny. Oh, I'm sorry. But those clothes, the gun and everything... Reckon I do look a mite strange to a lady like you. Guess I ain't much to look at. But there ain't a woman in the world I can't outride or outshoot or... Well, everybody can't have a figure like Adelaide Adams. That's a matter of opinion. In the opinion of Deadwood City, ma'am, there ain't no other opinion. And so... Calamity's like, okay, well, let's go. And Katie's like, okay, let's go. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they head back to Deadwood. <laughs> and the photo on that, on that cigarette uh, pack of the real Miss Adams, so unclear. You could, it could be any number of different women. It really, so, as long as they're sort of like dark-haired and, yeah, you know, fair-skinned. Dre- you know, so dressed like. in regalia the, the, of the day, the costume of the day. So back to Deadwood they go. And uh, for the opening night, there's a huge crowd at the Golden Garter. Those guys look like they might never have bathed. I bet it smelled really oh, nice in there. Yeah. Between the cigar smoke, the cigarette smoke, the alcohol, and all these people, <laughs> it reminded me, <laughs> it reminds me of the time you and Ben and I went to a Doctor Who convention in... Uh, oh, my gosh. In uh, uh, Bellingham. North, Bellingham. Yeah. And the, the room had its own aura. Right. Remember, we went into the, it was at the Western it was at Western Washington University at one of their big lecture halls, and and there was about four or five hundred Doctor Who fans in there. And wow. yeah, it was it was quite the the show. Yeah, I was glad for the fresh air when the show was over. <laughs> but anyway, they didn't care at the Golden Garter because now they were going to have this wonderful person show up from Chicago. Adelaide Adams. Katie gets on the stage and starts singing, and within about 10 seconds, 
I think her nerves get the best of her and she can't sing and then the audience starts getting upset and she she admits to not being Adelaide and then of course you know Calamity looks like some kind of huckster and uh she Calamity's like well I didn't know and Katie's like no she didn't know I pretended and and then Calamity kind of comes to her rescue saying that she's like all the rest of us here she just wants to make it big and have her chance and so are you going to give her a chance and they're like, okay, and then she goes yeah, on right. to have this amazing show, and it's like, okay, well, everything's good. That went better than anybody thought. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, uh, there's a there's this continuing mix-up between who's in love with whom. Oh, right, yeah, that's kind of the funny part, because, uh, yeah, like I was saying, while Bill Hickok really likes Katie and... and uh, Calamity really likes uh, the lieutenant, and the lieutenant really likes Katie, and Katie really likes the lieutenant, and I think it's like Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity act like brother and sister. They, the, the thought doesn't even cross their mind that they might actually love each other <laughs> until later. It's it's amazing if, if you could go back to, to Deadwood at this time and see what they were really like in person. Well, I was reading that that, uh, the similarity ends in how she was dressed. Like, they're really not, I mean, that's about it. And also, um, it's unclear. Like, Wild Bill Hickok says that, you know, there was never anything between us and Calamity Jane. Um, Yeah. Calamity Jane says, she says that, well, actually, we were married and had a child together. And there there was never any, like, substantiation of that claim. So, um yeah, there's a bunch of interesting stuff on the Wikipedia page about the real people, but yeah, the, the the these are not historically accurate portrayals of these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 truly that truly applies to this film. <laughs> of all the films we've seen that are that are of people from the past, this is the least documentary uh, nature to it the, the, of any of them. Although I, I have to admit, when they when uh, when Calamity Jane and, and Katie go back and clean up Calamity's uh, home, should we say, it's it's looks like it's really fun. Dust is flying all over, and there there's some music, and I'm like, wow, I've done a lot of cleaning in my day, and I never felt that it was that much fun where you could be singing and dancing and having a wonderful time. And then it turns out to be a very beautiful, tiny home. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's like, cute. Wow. They did a nice job. And then Calamity gets all dressed up and then has a foul-up. Remember, she falls in the mud and comes back. She looks terrible. Um, it, it's, it's not going to be revealed until the end that Calamity Jane is actually this beautiful woman who can fit in just with any other woman dressed up and her hair done nicely and all this stuff, right? Like, that's going to be saved until the end then they then they get into a they, there's an issue that involves the shooting at the golden garter where everybody thinks katie took a shot but it was real it was really uh, wild bill hickok that did the shot she she's she's jealous of katie and danny because oh that's it yes because they they dance together at the ball they go to this ball where it's revealed that Everybody's amazed that she actually can clean, get cleaned up and look nice. That can't be calamity. Why, she's beautiful. What happened to her? 
this calamity. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't get all your names on this here card. Can't even spell most of them. That's all I got room for. What you need is a bigger card. Looks like calamity's been holding out on us, carrying concealed weapons. How come all these glutes want to dance with me? But that shindig down at Hogan Stable, none of them come around. I didn't know. Spent most of the night chatting with a muse. <laughs> well, that's what I've been telling you all this time. Look better in a dress. Do it, Danny. You're an absolute vision, Calamity. Is Calamity, is this dance open? Well, I'm kind of saving this. Calamity just gets more and more worked up and angry and she confronts Katie at the at the saloon and she pulls a gun. I, okay, that was one thing about the film. She's like shooting up everything. Calamity, <laughs> she doesn't have any compunction about just pulling out her gun and shooting things. She pulls a gun on Katie and, and Katie isn't going to back down and she, she asks to borrow a gun from one of the audience members and She's never shot a gun in her life, it, it seems like. And everybody is like ducking and getting out of the way when she says she's going to shoot this glass out of uh, Calamity's hand. And then uh, Wild Bill Hickok actually shoots at the exact same time and shoots the, the glass out of Calamity's hand and makes it look like Katie did it. And so now Calamity's kind of humiliated, but I think... Wild Bill Hickok wanted to teach her a bit of a lesson ar around humility. And uh, then, you know, there's like this reconciliation that has to happen between uh, Calamity and Wild Bill Hickok, both of them realizing that the person that they think that they're in love with, love with just that's not really what is going on. They actually love each other. Finally, it's it took the whole film. Yeah. It, oh gosh, it's like, get with it, will you? But, but first of all, Calamity goes and, and brings back Katie because she's going to head back to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, so she has to run. She has to ride like crazy out of town and practically runs over some people. And then she sees uh, Wild Bill Hickok on the way out of town and they, they kiss. And yeah. and the, the guy that's with Wild Bill Hickok says, whoa, you're... You're gonna never have a boring life with her, or something like that. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and she she catches up to the stagecoach and uh, gets the driver to stop. And then, well, no, actually, he doesn't stop. She just rides up and jumps off her horse onto the moving stagecoach. Because <laughs> why not? Yeah, it's the same stagecoach driver that was in the first scenes. Yeah, and then they make up, and then everything is. You know, fine. At the end of the film, everybody's happy, and and, and they they've had a chance during this uh, western drama to include all just a little under a dozen songs. Yeah, and, and the one near the end uh, is the one that though it is it is the last song, "Secret Love." That's the one that was the big hit. No, I don't and think that that, that one's not at the end. Is that, that one, the last one? No, the last one is when they they're. It's a double wedding, and they're kind of leaving oh, town that's right. on the yeah. stagecoach. Yeah. But the secret love one is when she's she's riding all alone. Um, it was near, like, maybe three-quarters of the way through the movie. That's right. And she's beautifully uh, dressed, in it, and it takes place in this really nice setting. 
Yeah, she's riding a beautiful horse. horse. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I got it. I got it. So, I, so I, I, like I again, it's one of these movies where you have to put it in the context of the time. And for me, when I was watching it, I was really torn between, um, like a couple different thoughts. One was that Calamity Jane should just be allowed to be herself. I, I feel like she's not. She doesn't find happiness in the movie until she conforms to what everybody's expectations of her are with like getting cleaned up and getting a nice dress and going to the ball and getting her house cleaned up. And then and then once all that happens, then it's like Wild Bill can realize that, oh, I actually, you know, really like her and, and I'm falling in love with her. And I was and I was like, that's such a conformist message. I, I really yeah. like today I would like to see a movie where she could just be herself and live her life without having to do that. Yeah, the treatment of the First Nations people was so cartoonish. It was it was literally like right out of a cartoon from the era. Um, you know, they're they're not even characters. They're just sort of like um, stage dressing almost in in the scenes that they're in. So that was, I knew that was coming, but it was still hard to watch. It it is hard to watch. I, I as I watch this, I'm thinking, and I wanted to ask you this before we. Before we uh, end the podcast, do you think a film like this could be made today, but made in a realistic manner about what was going on in the late 1800s in Deadwood, South Dakota, with Calamity Jane and Wild Bill Hickok, and, and in any way have any music to it? I mean, that just seems like it would be a, an overwhelmingly daunting task to try to put that together and sell it i don't see how you can make it into a comedy this is mainly i would say a comedy yes and i think you could make a movie like that but i think it would be more of a a drama or a i think it would just be like sad i I just don't see how it could even have music i don't think it's the music part i think it's just that i don't think you could make a comedy out of it today i just think that it would just it wouldn't. It would just fall flat. I, I just don't see how you could do it. I I, I agree. Ask it because it, it's this film and and some of the others are like time capsules. They 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 were they could be a time capsule that was open now and we look at it and think, oh my goodness. Oh totally. That's it's just the best way to watch this movie is is exactly like that. I, I you have to for me anyway. I have to watch it as a moment in time it, it this was 1953 thing i think this is kind of not that far off from what people thought of what it was like in the old west right mm-hmm. yeah it's it's exaggerated and it's you know it's played for comedy but you know it's it's a dangerous place where you've got to fight off these these indians you're out in the the frontier and it's 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 dirty and kind of backwards living and in these little sheds and so I, I don't know. I kind of think that that rang true in some aspect for people in 1953. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't I know. Agree. I think I've, I think I've said enough on that. <laughs> well, I, I would like to uh, include uh, one other one other person that's in the film. The character is Katie Brown, and it's played by Alan Ann McCleary, who I thought did a wonderful job in her role. Uh, when, when I hadn't seen this film in a long time, and she really blossoms over the course of the film, just in terms of her character and her and her uh, singing ability and everything about her. 
and uh, I was interested in finding out more about her, so I looked her up. She uh, she was in a lot of different films, lived to be 91, and a film that she's in, she plays a teacher in the John Wayne movie, The Cowboys, from 1972. It was excellent. And then I found out that she lived in North Bend, Washington. Yeah, you texted that to me. I was like, holy smokes, that's cool. And she, uh, she died there in 2018. So, you know, it's very possible we would have run into her at the Safeway or the QFC store or who knows where because she, she lived there for quite a long time. Well, she, yeah, she, she died in 2018, so it's yeah. totally, totally possible. Man, that would have been weird. <laughs> but we um, would not have ever probably recognized her. Wouldn't it have been cool, though, to like recognize her and say, hey, I really, really liked your performance in Calamity Jane or whatever? Because she was definitely a standout for me. Like I yeah. really liked her character arc, and she really stepped into her own. Like She really owned her power on the stage, and she was just every bit as much of a star as Adelaide Adams was. Even better, I thought, than what we saw of Adelaide Adams. Certainly more personable than Adelaide. She was <laughs> yeah. kind of a, uh, she in some ways sort of a nasty woman. Yeah, well, she was only on screen for a few minutes. But That's yeah, true. She, she uh, <laughs> That's was not likable for those few not minutes. Not likable. I gave this film a six in my review um, for all the reasons we've talked about in terms of it's a time capsule, but it, it presents issues for me as I watch it in terms of how it treats different subjects. But I do like the music. And I love the athleticism of Doris Day. Mm-hmm. She's just, she's just wonderful. So uh, yeah, I go with a six on my rating. How about oh you? Boy. Yeah, I was five or six. I I'd probably go with a five, kind of right down the middle. I mean, if I think about like how enjoyable it was for me to watch, it was yeah, it was kind of a five. And when I think about all these issues with the film, then it yeah it really helps me solidify that thinking around a five nothing that i would go back and watch again but i'm kind of glad that we watched it once and like you said it's a real snapshot of of the times it really is our next uh podcast is going to be uh, paint your wagon from 1969 with uh lee marvin and clint eastwood and others and it is available uh, i know on some of the streaming services i'm going to watch it on youtube uh, I, I'm m- mostly interested in seeing the singing by those the, by those two men. Yeah, I'm super interested in this one. Like I, yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to see Clint Eastwood singing. But then Lee Marvin <laughs> had a gold record from this in the UK. So he, yes, yeah. I, which is new information for me. So that's our next one, and I guess that wraps us up for today. Yeah, so that's our review of Calamity Jane. Good old clam, as they would call her in the movie. Clam. Clam. (laughs) And you've been listening to Classic Mover Reviews and coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. Secret love.
Whip back away, whip back away, whip back away. Oh, 